uh, let's just thank the worship team. We had a lot of people who were uh, filling in and just did a great job, so thank you. Hey, uh, we have been doing this thing called Summer Saturdays at Grace. How many of you got a chance to participate in that so far? Yeah, go Dusty, he's excited. Anyway, uh, it's been awesome, and I just want to give a little bit of uh, vision to that. The, the idea at the beginning of the summer was let's set aside a few Saturdays uh, that we can invite our friends, that they can come and experience grace in a non-threatening environment, uh, come see what the Saturday service is all about, and then stick around and uh, just have some food and fun. Uh, it's been great. The, it's just been super chill, great place to relax. Uh, we did it last week. There were some new folks who came, and it's just a great way for you to invite your friends. Uh, we're not doing it to compete with the Sunday thing. We'd love for the Sunday folks to uh, uh, invite their friends and just show up at 6.30 and enjoy uh, the communities here. I also think that because this is kind of still a new thing, Saturday nights, uh, it's a chance for you to get to know one another, to connect with one another, to begin to meet with one another outside of Sunday morning. And I just think that's critical. So uh, next week, uh, Billy Sims Barbecue is coming back. Yeah, okay. We got one yay out of it. Uh, but we would love for you to be here. Invite your friends. Just uh, plan on that uh, after the service next week as well. I also want to take a minute this uh, week to just recognize our graduates. So I don't know if we have any uh, high school, college graduates here today. Do we have any in the house? Anybody that graduated this year? Stand up. Come here. Come here. You can't be the only one. Stay standing for a minute. I just want to pray for you. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for uh, all of the graduates here at Grace and uh, those who have who've just done a good work. And we just pray a blessing over them. We pray that uh, the next season will be just as exciting as the last season. Pray that they would uh, go with just a great sense of who they are in Christ and that they would have impact, uh, whatever you have for them next. But we just uh, want to stop and recognize the good work uh, that was done and just to bless them and, and to send them well. And so, uh, God, thank you. Uh, for Miss Deuce. Just bless her. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks. Hey, uh, grab your Bibles. We're in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And some of you are thinking, I thought he preached that last week. And the answer is, I did. Uh, and as I sat down at the beginning of this week and began to press forward with the next passage, I just really felt like there was some stuff we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, in those first 12 verses. Some pretty important uh, things that we just need to go back. So we're going to uh, talk about it again and, and go through it. I'm going to recap a little bit of what we've already covered and what I talked about last week, but I just think there's more here that we just need to hold on to. Uh, and I just figured, hey, uh, I can stay here if I want to. So hopefully you're okay with that. So um, I also just want to, before I even get into the message, just give recognition. Uh, I uh, saw a sermon by John Piper a long time ago uh, and then went back to it this week that's just given a lot of shape to this sermon. Uh, it's a sermon that he preached actually in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I think. Uh, so uh, a lot of this was shaped by him, and I just want to give credit to a great thinker and theologian uh, who helped me to, to kind of process uh, this First Peter passage. So First Peter 2, verses 1 through 12. Peter writes these words. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that it you, you excuse me that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4. 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in the scriptures, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Let me just say that one more, one more time. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse seven, so to, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone a stumbling block and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter. We'll go back and cover this, but let me just pray for us. Lord, I, I pray in these next few minutes that you will bring more uh, uh, revelation, that you would speak uh, through your word that you would use my words, that you would use Andrew's words, that you would use the words of the songs, whatever it is, the words of, a, of another person here at church that speaks to us, Lord, whatever you need to use, your Holy Spirit speaking directly to our spirit, would you speak a truth that brings about fruit in our lives? Would you just speak into our hearts? We pray this weekend, what we pray every weekend, that we would leave different than we came because we've interacted with the living God. In Jesus' name. Amen? Yeah, so one of the goals uh, for us as a church is we teach through a book of the Bible like we are with First Peter right now is that when you come to this book maybe two years from now, maybe five years from now, I don't know, maybe 10 years from now, that you would pick it up and you would say, oh, I gotta read First Peter and there would be certain things that you would just naturally remember. So we do that by uh, just kind of repeating ourselves throughout this series and, and the idea would be you would remember the context. You would remember why the book was written. You would remember who it was written to. And, and why is that important? Because context matters. If we're gonna make good interpretation, if we're gonna make good application, then we need to know what the lay of the land was when the person wrote that book. So there's just some repetition that you're gonna hear over and over as we go through this series. So First Peter, it's written to predominantly Gentile people, right? People who were not Jewish in their heritage. These are people who are scattered throughout a region and what we commonly know as Turkey. Uh, these are Jesus followers. They're considered residents in a certain uh, community, but they're residents without uh, status, if you will. They are uh, oppressed in many ways. They're persecuted in many ways. They don't have voting power. They don't have, they're, they're an oppressed people within a society, right? The emperor at the time is Nero. Many of you probably know Nero, if nothing else, through a song, but he was a notoriously brutal 
uh, to the Christians, right? And these Christians aren't necessarily in Rome, but it's the Roman Empire and its influence that's going out into other regions. So Christians are not well received. They're allowed to, to still do what they do, but they're done under this brutal oppression, right? So it's an oppressive empire. And here's a letter that's written to those people that are living under oppression and saying, within that context, under that oppression, I want to write a letter to you to tell you how you can live your lives in such a way to bring glory to God, to have an impact for the kingdom of God, right? The purpose of the letter is to show us how to have impact, even if we are not the central part of the social structure, even if we are on the outskirts of what's socially acceptable. Here's a letter that becomes the playbook for you and I of how to have impact on the people around us, right? And I asked you last week, how many of you want to have more impact for the kingdom of God? I would hope that every one of us would raise our hands to this question. Of course, we want more people to know God. We want our neighbors, the people around us to know God. We want to have more impact, okay? So that's the context. That's what I would hope that two years from now, three years from now, when you pick up First Peter, you would just automatically think those things, oh, that's who that book is written to. That's the purpose of the book. We're called right? To have an impact. So we learned early on in this series that we can't have an impact if we assimilate. This is what Pastor G talked about in the first few weeks. If we, if we just become so much like the culture that no one sees any difference in us, then we're not going to have an impact there. We certainly can't have an impact if we go into despair and throw up our hands and say, what difference can I make? It, it doesn't matter. Nobody really cares about Jesus. I'm not going to have an impact. So, so assimilation and despair doesn't work. And then kind of called us to reimagine all that God wants to do. That word imagine always makes me think of Paul's prayer that the Lord wants to do more than you can ask, think, or imagine according to the spirit at work within you, but allow God to work in you and through you. Engage your imagination and allow God to do something powerful. Last week, we looked at these uh, 12 verses and we saw that there were some pretty uh, loud words, some words that are easy for us to say, well, I don't do that. But as we sunk into the words, we discovered that maybe they're more a part of who we are than, than we would think at first glance. But it says that we, if we want to have an impact, that we need to live lives without malice. Remember, malice was just any ill will towards anybody. Live lives without deceit, which is including projecting a false front. Right? We talked about all this hypocrisy. And one of the ways we defined hypocrisy is being way more concerned with other people's shortcomings and other people's sins than we are with our own, that if we just uh, probably have enough to deal with if we just concentrate on ourselves. Uh, we talked about envy, which is jealousy, slander, words that are intended to tear down instead of build up, and indulging in sin. You want to have an impact? then you have to rid yourselves of these behaviors within your life. But then we landed on the fact that you can't do it on your own. Right? The only possibility is to be anchored in and to have your grounding in Christ and to allow the Holy Spirit to be the one to be working through you. I, I reinforced that, that your identity makes all the difference. Everything you do, all of your responses to circumstances to people comes out of your identity and your identity has to be who you are in Christ. Everything you do flows out of that, right? And we're gonna see that again as we talk about it today. So, unless you know who you are, you can't live without malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and you certainly can't pursue holiness. Okay, now look at verse five in the passage that we just read. 
chapter two, because this is really where I want to spend our time. I want to make sure that before we move on, we understand the challenge that Peter is writing and kind of summarizes it in verse five. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And the question that I want to answer today, the question I want you to maybe even leave here wrestling with is what are spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God? What are spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God? And the truth is, if we can wrap our mind around this question, if we can begin to understand what an acceptable spiritual sacrifice is, it it has this profound impact, not just on us as individuals, but it has a profound impact on us as a church as well. And if you think about it, the very question implies that, that there are spiritual sacrifices that are not acceptable to God. Right, that, that you can do what you think is a, is a good thing, a spiritual sacrifice, and in the end, that sacrifice would, would not be acceptable to God. If you think about this, this becomes the, one of the very first conflicts in Scripture. Right? Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Well, if you go back and you read that story, it's a fascinating thing because they both bring sacrifice. As a matter of fact, it talks about that they were born. It gives you all that context. This is in in, uh, the beginning of, so somebody in the back is looking for the slides. There are no slides for this because I just decided I would read it. So they're frantically looking. What is he going to read? What am I going to put on the screen? Nothing. Anyway, this is Genesis 4. So they're born and it says, uh, it says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their, of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. Both had a sacrifice, right? You see that? Both actually even did what, what, what they were told to do. They did it by the, law, the, the letter of the law, if you will. But God regarded one as acceptable, if you think about our question, and he regarded the other one as unacceptable. And we know if you know the rest of the story, Cain's jealousy rears up and he, he kills Abel. There's something about that. So, so this is so important to us because we can think we're doing what God wants us to do. And in the end, God doesn't receive the very thing that we're doing. Okay, and that's what we're chasing after. What are spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God? And the first truth we need to get to, or the first part of what makes a a sacrifice acceptable is it all starts and really it all ends and it all flows through Jesus. We have to understand who Jesus is and we have to understand the role Jesus plays in our lives in order for those sacrifices to be acceptable. So Peter writes in verse four, as you come to him, right, as you actually come to Jesus, a living stone, Rejected by men, but accepted in, in, by God as chosen and precious, okay? So, so it starts with coming to Jesus. And here Peter is quoting Isaiah, and he's using the Psalms. And, and all we need to see to, to start this out is that it, it has to start with Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot muster up something that's acceptable to God. You can't clean yourself up. You can't get yourself ready. You can't sing a song unless it comes through Christ and through the blood of Christ. It's not going to be acceptable. So as we come to him, something supernatural begins to take place. 
I'll talk more about some of this in, the, in a minute, but something actually becomes transformative. We are actually transformed into something. But first, I want to go back and I want to look at verses 2 and 3. So if you still have your Bibles open, look at it. And I'm going to do something that I rarely do, uh, but I'm going to read them in opposite order. I'm going to read 3 first, and then I'm going to read 2, because it actually, I think, brings clarity to the passage. So verse 3 says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Right? If you have any perception, any experience, any inclination that God is good, if there's anywhere in your life where you have had just the, the slightest taste of God's goodness, if you've received God's mercy, if you've ever looked at the cross and thought about how amazing God is, how good God is, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, verse 2 says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. I actually called my daughter-in-law and asked her if I could share this because I didn't want to embarrass her. And she said, I don't care. Uh, but when Rachel uh, gets ready to feed Clyde, she breastfeeds, um, which is why I thought I should ask her. I didn't know she was okay with me saying that to the whole world. Apparently she is. Uh, but, but she has this cover that's, you know, it's black and it's just a thing she throws over so that there's some modesty and all that or whatever. Uh, when that cloth comes out, that baby goes crazy. Like, he knows, right? And any of you who've been around infants, you know what I'm talking Like, that baby knows exactly what this cloth is going to do. And even when he was tiny, before he could really express any other emotion, his little legs would start pumping his, you know, I mean, he was ready, right? Why? Because he's tasted because he knows that's what he needs to survive, because he's hungry, because it's good, because it's beautiful. And it's such a beautiful image. If you just let yourself sink into the imagery that Peter is writing here, if, you, if you've ever watched a baby that just knows that this is my very livelihood, right? This is what's going to sustain me, right? That's the kind of hunger that we need to have, that kind of hunger that, that causes us to say, no, God is is good and I need more of him, right? That longing for pure spiritual milk. It's really a picture of us being so hungry for God that we're willing to move towards him. Hebrews eleven six says this, it says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You got to believe that God is there and you got to believe that God is good and God rewards those who seek him. And there's this beautiful picture of something happening, happening in faith when we move towards God, right? God move towards us. We long for pure spiritual milk and we seek Jesus. He rewards us and, and he grows us up. And then there's something about this passage that's a, it's a picture of transformation. Peter says, you yourselves, like living stones, are building, built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Right? And there's, this is a twofold thing. He's telling us who we are, but he's also giving us a way of, of understanding the difficulties of the day and being able to re relate to Jesus. So he's saying, just like Jesus was rejected by man, but accepted by God, and he becomes the living stone, the cornerstone, the, the very foundation of the church, so it is with you. When, when you are rejected by men, 
It's okay because you're accepted by God. This goes back to that identity piece that I talked about before. If you know deep in your spirit that I am a child of God, that I'm accepted by God, that I am, I am loved by God, then whenever you experience any kind of rejection or any kind of shunning or and even within your family structure, it's so much easier to navigate those things that would sometimes cause you to go into a tailspin when you have your identity rooted in who you are Christ. And even though man rejects you, you can navigate through that rejection without malice and slander and envy and jealousy because you know it's okay because even though they have rejected me, God has accepted me and he's using me and building us as living stones into a spiritual house, rejected by men, accepted by God. The New Living Translation says that you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. This is all Old Testament language. He's, Peter is just trying to paint this picture of what was and what is, right? So he's using the temple language and he's using the priesthood language. So we come to faith in Jesus. We are like living stones. We come together and we become a spiritual temple. Now, the fascinating thing is if you know your Bible and you've looked at the Bible, the Bible also says that when you say yes to Jesus, you individually become a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? How many of you know that? Your body becomes a, a dwelling place for the Spirit, and that's why we're supposed to care for who we are. And, and so we become temples, but, but there's something about this passage and other passages that tell us that when we come together, something happens when all these little temples come together to make the temple for the Spirit of God, a spiritual temple. Something profound happens. So here at Grace, we say there's six essentials for your spiritual growth, right? You've heard me talk about this many times. Can we put that slide up? Six essentials. So we say that you need to gather, that you need to connect beyond Sunday morning or Saturday night. You need to be in a smaller group where you can really dig in and share things on a more personal level that you need to serve because God has actually designed you to do something, right? You're, you're all God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do a good work, which he prepared. That good work is you're serving. Those are the outer essentials. This is what we do together. This is what you need the body of Christ to do. And then the inner essentials is the devotion, that, that hunger for God that we talked about, generosity, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, influence. This entire series is about influence, of, of how do we share our faith? How do we impact the people around us? And if you have these six that you're going to grow, but gather is there because we know something happens when we're together that can't happen anywhere else. So if somebody says to you, I love Jesus, I'm going to walk with Jesus, but I don't need the church, I would say they're wrong. They're, they're contradicting scripture because something happens when we come together as believers. We become, the passage actually says, a dwelling place for the spirit of God. The spirit of God moves in our midst. It's a powerful picture. It says, you yourselves, Peter, it says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We, each one of us, all of us, Every person in the room who has said yes to Jesus, no distinction, no difference between me because I'm the pastor and you because you're not a pastor, every one of you are called to be a priest. You are a part of the priesthood of all believers. The key word here is all. And one of the primary roles of the priest 
right, was to be an, an intermediary between the people and God. And one of their roles was to take the sacrifices of the people and bring them into the temple, right, and, and present them to God with the hope that God would accept those sacrifices. They were an intermediary. So we have this sacrificial language and we have this priesthood language. And what Peter is telling us is we no longer need that intermediary between us and God, Jesus comes, he gives his life as the ultimate sacrifice. He sheds his blood. And when he dies, something profound happens literally in the temple. It's, it literally happens and it becomes this, this picture for us. It's a powerful moment recorded in the gospel of Matthew. It says that, and behold, this is right after Jesus is on the cross. It says the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. This curtain that they're talking about was a curtain to hide the whole of holies, to keep, it actually was built in such a way to keep somebody from even accidentally entering into it. So 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, they say it was over an, an inch thick. There's writings from back in the, the first century that, that even if you were to put a team of camels on both corners and pull, they would never be able to tear the sample. Think about material an inch thick, how hard it would be to tear that, right? So, so we have this thing. They, it actually, uh, some of the writing said it took 300 priests to move the curtain, to, to manipulate the curtain at all. So I'm just trying to give you an idea of how big this curtain was. And the curtain is torn from top to bottom because now we have access to the holy of holies. So back to 1 Peter verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up into this spiritual house, you come together, you become the spiritual temple to be holy priests, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Holy priesthood to bring spiritual sacrifices so that are spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So what are acceptable spiritual, excuse me. So what are acceptable spiritual sacrifices? I think it's fascinating uh, that Andrew quoted this passage. He didn't know I was going to teach on this, but Romans 1.12 is a good place to start. So the first thing that, that is a spiritual sacrifice is you. Not just you, but all of you. Your entire being becomes an, an opportunity for spiritual sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You see it there? Your body's holy and acceptable, God. This is spiritual worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is so important for us to realize. Everything we do is, is, has the opportunity to be a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. Everything you do, even driving on the freeway, but it all depends on how you do it, right? So this is the critical juncture, right? The difference between an acceptable spiritual sacrifice and an unacceptable spiritual sacrifice is really about who is to get the glory, right? Track with me if you, if you understand what I'm saying. So it, it's all about a sacrifice to bring glory to God. And I've, I've said this to you lots of times, but to bring glory to God is to make God known. So if I live my life in such a way so that others can see Christ in what I do, right? If, if, if what I do is meant to be a sacrifice to God so that others are aware of the glory of God, then that becomes an acceptable sacrifice. Now, here's the battle I've been in all week. I'm not sure. 
I, when I preach, we have guests coming tomorrow from another church. And I got to tell you, this week I've been thinking, well, I better preach a really good sermon because I've got these guests coming. Well, guess what? That's not about God. That's about me. Right? And I'm just being honest with you. So in the middle of preaching, I got to figure out how much of this is me and how much of this is me just wanting to bring glory to God. And, and, and I don't think I'm alone in this. The, the reality is we just got to be willing to ask the question. We got to be willing to sit with Jesus and we got to be willing to say, God, show me where I'm in the way. Right? Show me why I'm more concerned with whether this group of visitors is impressed than I am that you get the glory. Why would I work harder this week on a sermon than last week? Because guests are coming, because I'm more worried about me than God. And I'm just using that as an example. And, and, I, and I'm, I just want us to wrestle with it. Like, what are you really trying to do? So much of our lives are about bringing attention and glory to us and not about bringing glory to God. And so maybe... Well, we don't know because it doesn't say, but when it comes to Cain and Abel, maybe the problem was it was a show. One was doing it because they just wanted to honor God, and the other one wanted, wanted to say, look, look what I did. See my sacrifice? See what I brought to the temple? And God said, I'm not impressed. That's more about you than it is about me. If we want to have an impact in our community. We can sit with this question. You know, like, I know we kid about it, but how you drive actually could be, like, I'm not sure you're trying to bring glory to God when you're flipping somebody off out the window, right? Can we just be honest here, right? And if you are driving like that, take the fish off your car because you're not helping us any. <laughs> but the point is, it's so easy for us to slip out of that mode and realize, well, I'm not in church right now or whatever the case. And, and the point is, everything you do, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, whether you eat, drink, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to make God famous. Isn't that powerful? The second spiritual sacrifice are words of praise. Hebrews 13 says, through him, let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise. He's talking about the actual words that we speak to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. So when you're here or whether you're at home, whether you get up in the morning and you give God honor and glory, whether you're Denny and you're looking at a sunrise and you're just marveling at God's awesomeness, the words that you speak back to God become, become sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Generosity is in here, right? First, or 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he's decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, right? That compulsion thing doesn't impress God. He wants your heart. He wants you to be fully engaged. He loves a cheerful giver. God's able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiently in all things and all times, you may abound in every good work. That's why generosity was part of those six essentials because we want us to learn to be generous with everything, not just money, everything God's given you, your time. Sometimes it's a lot easier to write a check than it is to give your time, right? Time, money, resources, talents. Are you generous with everything that God has given you? And are you generous because... You want to make God famous, or are you generous because you want to be famous, right? That's the wrestle. That's what we need to stay with. Fourth one is acts of love and justice. We are to love God, and we are to love people. And when we neglect the second, the loving of people, we really are neglecting the first. And anything we do that sacrifices is futile. 
So in the Old Testament, there were these times in the lives of the people where they grieved God because they no longer cared for the poor, because they didn't care about what was happening to injustice around them. They just, they became hard-hearted. And so we see passages like Hosea 6, 6, it says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Micah 6, 8, I've told you, O man, what is good. And What does the Lord require of you? That you do justice, that you love kindness, that you walk humbly with God. These were moments of time where the the prophets were calling out the people because all they were doing was religious scurrying. They were just doing their activities. They were bringing their sacrifices. They were doing their burnt offering, but their hearts were far from God and they were neglecting love and, and justice. Everything we do has to go through Jesus. And everything we have to do has to be done in such a way to make God famous, to bring glory to God, to make God known. We have a mission statement here at Grace. What is it? We are a, very good. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. And when you go back and you read the gospels, you see that everything Jesus did was to make God known. He says, if you see me, you see the father. If you hear me, you're hearing the father. If you know me, you know the father. What makes it acceptable is that we do it through Christ. Sacrifices that are acceptable to God. This is a quote from uh, John Piper from that message. He said, these are the deeds that you do, the words that you speak, the songs that you sing, when you do them spiritually, when you do them in cooperation with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I just want to give you a minute of silence. And I just want you to ask the Lord to show you, to show you where maybe you're a little too front and center, those places in your life where it's more about you than it is about him. And I don't don't know what that would be. I just want to give you just a minute of silence and then I just want to pray over you. And with that, we'll close. Lord, I just ask in this moment we would know your grace and your mercy. Lord of Christ, you see us as holy and righteous. You call us to live out that beautiful part of our identity. I pray that you would just show us where our egos and our pride get in the way. 
One might be at work, or they might be in our living room. Show us how to walk humbly with you. But I pray as a church that we would walk out of this series having more impact. Not to make grace famous, but to make you famous. I'm grateful that I can be messed up, still accepted. Thankful that you are doing a work in all of us. Lord, help us to be like little baby Clyde, longing for pure spiritual milk. Feed us and that you would grow us into the people that you've called us to be. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son. Amen. Bless you. We have people that would love to pray for you. If you need prayer, feel free to come down. Otherwise, thank you for being here on Saturday. God bless you.